Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 7. And uh, if you're using the black Bibles that are provided for you, it's on page 1041. As you're finding the passage, I just want to share some things with you. Uh, You can probably help my wife and me kind of think through how we should approach this. It's a little upsetting, a little disturbing. Um, I have been uh, I have been paying our mortgage uh, monthly on time ever since we got our mortgage. And I still have not received a thank you note or a gift basket just expressing gratitude for my timeliness. And, and we're really thinking about changing banks. I know that it's not the best time, but I just, it's, I'm at my, my wit's end what to do about this. It just seems inappropriate. So you can pray for us in this. Does this, does this story ring true for any of you? Um, a husband and wife have pretty much equally busy days. You know, we won't assign busyness, but we'll say that the day was a busy day. Uh, you know, there were meetings and doctor's appointments and teacher's conferences and, and 95 traffic Somehow at the end of the day, uh, the wife still manages to uh, get a meal together for everyone. And, uh, and while she's uh, getting book bags together at the end of the day and making sure that children's hygiene levels are restored to a more acceptable level, um, she's going through the bedtime routines and the husband notices in the kitchen just a sink full of dishes. And so he gets up and he goes over and he does the dishes and he washes them and he cleans up and puts everything away. And then he goes back and sits in the living room and tries not to look too eager. She comes back down the stairs and goes into the kitchen. This is good. This is good. We're moving in the right direction. She gets herself a glass of water. Awesome. Awesome. This is cool. She comes into the living room and sits down. He waits for what feels like an appropriate amount of time until he finally can't stand it anymore. And he says, well, and she says, well, well, what? And he says, well, did you even notice? And she says, notice what? He says, I... I did the dishes. And she goes, oh, oh, yeah, I did notice that. Well, well, what? I, I don't know. Thank you. Um, my hero. Uh, I don't know. Uh, is there anything I can do to make your evening a little more relaxing? He doesn't see the glass coming. He just knows that he's soaking wet. And he's apparently said something that has upset her. 
It's probably that time of the month where she's overly sensitive, so he'll just let it go. Now, maybe that doesn't sound realistic to you. Maybe your pastor is the only fool of a husband that thinks that unassigned shared responsibilities that his wife does regularly rates some sort of merit badge when he does them twice every six months. Maybe you can't relate. So maybe one more, one more. You're sitting around the table. Your kids are home from school. Uh, it's sort of the evening. How was your day? How, you know, share. One, one child is just bursting at the seams to share about his day. And finally it gets to him and it's his turn. And he says, I did not lie once today. And the parents are like, Oh, and I didn't steal anything from anyone else's lunch today. And they're like, what? Also, I didn't bully that kid that I can't stand. And I did not hit my sister one time this afternoon. I mean, this morning was different. She totally deserved it. So I think you should take me for ice cream. As a reward, I think, and probably let me stay up and watch a movie tonight. Do you know people that are like this? If you don't, it could be that you're a person that's like this. Maybe all of these, you're like, I don't see the problem with any of these stories. It may be that you suffer from ATAABOC syndrome, Adabok. It's going around. It's not contagious. It really just kind of wells up from inside. All that and a bag of chips syndrome. The best remedy is a healthy dose of vitamin RC. Reality check. Uh, Jesus has been talking in chapters leading up to this about improper views and uses of wealth. And maybe you and some of the disciples listening are thinking, uh, I'm doing pretty good with that. He's spoken about leading others astray with false teaching. And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not even a teacher, so I'm doing great in that area. He's spoken of forgiveness. And you're able to say with a straight face that you forgive most of the people, most of the time. So you're, you're doing all right there. And then he says, like, you really, all you really need is mustard seed-sized faith, and you're thinking, well, <laughs> I know I have faith that big, so I'm doing really, I'm doing really, I'm doing really well here. I mean, you may not be the bestest Christian, but you're definitely above the line. I mean, you're, Honest assessment, you're probably in the upper 30 percentile. These two passages today that we're going to look at, uh, these are two doses of reality checks that, that we all need to hear occasionally. Would you, uh, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Will any one of you who has a servant, 
has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So it's two pretty straightforward, pretty easy paragraphs to, to unpack one about unworthy servants and one about ungrateful lepers. Jesus tells at least what in his time would be a pretty humorous, even ridiculous story. Imagine you had a servant. It's a bond servant, a doulos. Doulos is the Paul's favorite title for himself. He calls himself a doulos of Christ, a bond servant of Christ. It's, uh, it's not what you and I would think of in our uh, American understanding of slave, but it, it is someone who's, who's bound themselves to a house, and by that they have certain privileges, but they also have duties and responsibilities. Maybe your servant's job is plowing the fields, Jesus says. Or maybe your servant's job is, is taking care of the sheep. Either way, he comes in after doing his job, Do you jump up and exclaim, come, sit, let me make you something to eat? Now today, you and I might think, well, sure, that seems reasonable. That's healthy. But his listeners would know that that's ridiculous. it's, It's only a modern kind of phenomenon that workers think that they're old thanks along with an honest day's pay. That there's this idea that, like, well, I don't know how much longer I can work at this company. They don't seem to appreciate that I do the things they pay me to do. Instead of that, he says, wouldn't you rather, if this was your slave, wouldn't you say, hey, this is what I want for supper. By the way, put on some appropriate indoor clothes. Also, after you've fed me, Help yourself to whatever you want. 
And then he said, like he, he applies the passage then. He says, so you also, verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. Unworthy is an interesting word. It's um, Most places it's translated unprofitable or even worthless. Imagine that. We are, not, we are only worthless servants. We are only unprofitable servants. It's because the difference between you and me and God, like when you and I hire a servant, it's for one of two reasons. It's to do a thing I can't do or to do a thing I don't want to do. Like you hire people to do things you are unable to do. That's why you hire them. You hire mechanics to do things for your, your car. You hire uh, construction workers to do things on your home. You hire people to do things that you can't do or just things that you don't really want to do. You know, when God brings you and me on as servants, it's not because he needs us. He does, it's not that he needs us to do things that he can't do. He, he can do it perfectly well. It's not just that he's hiring us to do things that he doesn't want to do. We add nothing to God by our obedience. We, we add nothing to God by doing what he has commanded us to do. And that's when we do all that he has commanded. Did anyone hear that and get squirmy when he says, when you, when you have done all that is commanded, you should consider yourselves unworthy servants. I do want to make sure you understand, this isn't God saying you are unworthy servants. He's saying this should be your attitude. In fact, almost the exact opposite is said a few chapters earlier when he says that one day we will be brought home and, and the master will say, come, sit, recline at table. But Jesus is saying here, but what should your attitude be? He says, when, when you've done all that you were commanded, it's like this sly, quiet mic drop. It's supposed to kind of catch you a little bit. Have you done all that is commanded? Last week, Pastor Bob Rumbaugh preached on... The end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus summarizing that portion of his sermon says, Therefore, in summary, be perfect. You know, like your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a good outline point. Let's pray. Psalm 24 that we use for our, our confession. Who may enter the house of the Lord? Well, he who has clean hands, a pure heart, and never uses his words to do anything deceitful. That's who can come into the presence of God. In Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Like these are, these are New Testament things. So this isn't just like Old Testament God always wants everyone to be so good. New Testament God, ah, you're fine. New Testament God says, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. New Testament God in Philippians 2 says, 
do all things. Kids, this is an awesome verse to listen to. Ready? Do all things. Dads, you could probably stand to hear this, these words too. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Do all things without grumbling or complaining so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you would shine like lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. Anyone able to say they do all things without grumbling or complaining? How many of you would have to say, if we even reworded it, do anything? Forget all things. Let's go to another A word. Do you do anything without grumbling or complaining? I do very few things without grumbling or complaining. You've done all that the Lord commands. You're still an unworthy servant. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Again, New Testament words. So whatever you're doing, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, whatever you're doing, do it all for the glory of God. Can anyone say that everything I ate this week was with the glory of God in mind? Everything I drank this week, I had the glory of God in mind. Everything I did this week, I had the glory of God in mind. When you have done all that is commanded... you would still be an unworthy servant. What keeps us from recognizing that we're unworthy servants? What, why is that so hard a thing to grasp? And I think it's probably because of the second dose of reality check. The reason we don't see ourselves as unworthy servants is because we are ungrateful lepers. In this passage, chapter 17 here, verse 10, this is the third mention in Luke that he says, and Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. It's sort of the third section of this Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem. And so every time Luke says that, he set his face for Jerusalem, he turned toward Jerusalem, he's on, his road, on the road to Jerusalem, all the readers who know the history and what's coming in Jerusalem were supposed to hear that and realize it's not just a town he's heading to. It's a betrayal and an arrest and a beating and a crucifixion and a death. But that is what Jesus is walking toward. It says while he is on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to his crucifixion, He's passing between a couple of villages. Doesn't matter where. It's not important to the story, but he's somewhere between Galilee and Samaria. And while he's there, 10 lepers approach him. They don't approach the way you and I would approach because when you're a leper, you can't get within 50 feet of anyone lest you actually make them 
unclean in the same way that you are unclean. From 50 feet away, they have to begin shouting, unclean, unclean. They're supposed to put their hands over their mouths so that you don't even, you don't even catch what they have. They're ceremonially unclean. They're not fit for worship. They're not allowed to come into God's presence in the synagogue or in the temple. They're not even allowed to live at home anymore. When you are a leper, you're forced to leave your family. You've lost all community other than other lepers. They're the only people you get to hang out with. You had to wait and hope that one day your leprosy would just sort of fade on its own. And if it did, then you would go to the priest and your priest would sort of give you a a skin examination, like he would give you a medical exam. And if you were declared clean by the priest, you could offer some sacrifices and then go on your merry way and finally be able to return home. If the priest found anything in you that was still unclean, any mark that leprosy still existed on you, you would be sent back and you were not allowed to come and reapply for another seven days. You had to wait seven days, see if it's better this time. Come back to the priest. He examines you. Nope, almost, but no. We'll see you next Sunday. It would take weeks, maybe months, possibly years. Here are these 10 lepers. They come and approach. And somehow Jesus' reputation has preceded him. They shout out, Jesus, Master. Other than these 10 lepers, this term Master, it's not Kyrios or Lord, but it is Master. And only Jesus' disciples in Luke call him Master other than here. So something about him, these lepers are aware of. They are recognizing he's, he's got something about him. And if he's going to help them, it will be out of pity. It will be out of compassion. Jesus, master, have mercy. Have pity. Show compassion to us. And so it's interesting, Jesus' response to them, isn't it? He just simply says to them, well, go and show yourselves to the priests. I mean, that's something you only do once you're clean. So the fact that these 10 just immediately obey him, they seem to have some hope that something's going to happen. They do have some level of trusting that Jesus is up to something. They go on their way to the priests. And then we're told that all of them, All ten of them were cleansed. It's literally, it's a word like it. The word is used intentionally to remind us that this is a cleanliness issue. This is a ceremonial issue. They are cleansed of this disease. And one of them in verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, he immediately turned back. He begins praising God with a loud voice. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet. And it says, and he gave him thanks. Which sounds normal, but this word for thanks is Eucharist. 
Like if you grew up Catholic, you'll recognize that the table used to be called the Eucharist. It's, it's thanks that 37 times in the New Testament, all 37 other times in the New Testament that this thanks is used, it is always to God. Thank, this level of thanks is always directed to God, and this cleansed leper comes and directs that level of thanks to Jesus. It doesn't matter if we try to analyze what the leper knew about Jesus, but Luke, the author of this book, is definitely telling you what he knows about Jesus. Jesus deserves the thanks that is reserved only for God. Jesus is God. And then in almost a a throwaway sentence. Again, Luke, he's also an author, so he writes and he writes intentionally. It's almost this, oh, and by the way, did I mention... This man was a Samaritan. It's like the second mic drop of these two stories. He's like, he's like, oh, by the way, this guy was a Samaritan. He's not just ceremonially unclean because of his leprosy. He is religiously apostate. He is a heretic. He has a false religion by which he thinks he's worshiping God and he is wrong. This is the only man who, when he is cleansed, turns back, praises God, thanks Jesus for what he has done for him. And Jesus is a little surprised. He's like, wait a minute. Correct me if I'm wrong. Weren't there ten of you? Where are the other nine? Was there no one else is there no one else who would give praise to God for their cleansing besides this foreigner? Jesus likes to use our negative language to nail points home. In, in Luke 6, he's talking and he says, uh, listen, don't just love the people that love you. He says, and he says this funny thing. He says, I mean, even sinners do that. Ill. Like he uses the ways we talk about each other to kind of nail a point down. He says, listen, don't just, don't just lend money to people who are going to give it back to you. I mean, even, even sinners do that. And we know we're all way better than sinners. So we should at least be doing things better than sinners. Here he says, he's, he's using their language. He's like, is there no one who would praise God except this foreigner? And he does it so that he can set up the biggest and final mic drop. The only person, this foreigner, this outsider, this religious deviant... And he turns to the man, he says, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And then we're all like, well, how's that different from the other nine? 
I mean, why why single hit? Like, weren't all 10 made well? And that's the beauty of this language because twice they're talked about being cleansed. Once the one leper recognizes that he was healed, a different word. And now Jesus is saying, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is a third word. In Greek one, in seminary, one of the first words, at least in my class, that I learned was sozo. It's an easy word. It's a verb. One of the reasons you learn it is because it's a very straightforward verb. It just, it, there's no fancy things that it has to do. It's, it's just, it's a simple word. One of the reasons is, uh, though, the importance of the word sozo. You hear it a little bit in the word soteriology. It's like, great, hey, how about use a third word? I don't know what you're talking about. This is awesome. Soteriology is just people that want to feel smart about themselves saying the study of salvation or understanding salvation. Uh, So all things relating to salvation. Sozo is a verb. It means save. Almost always. It can mean save in a make a person well kind of way, but save, sozo, I save, you save, he, she, it saves, we save, y'all save, they save. Often it's used in a more passive way where you're not the, you're not the subject doing the saving, but you're the object. I am saved. You are saved. Jesus says to this foreigner, rise and go. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. This filthy, unclean outsider who praises God for his cleansing and gives thanks to Jesus as God for his cleansing is saved. He trusts Jesus. If you cannot see yourself as an unworthy servant, it is likely that part of the problem is that you are an ungrateful leper. Because you and I, we are not merely ceremonially unclean. We are spiritually, deeply, and entirely unclean. You are not unclean because you touched someone else that was unclean. You got a little bit of their secondhand sin on you and you can't seem to scrub it off. You are unclean because you were born unclean and every choice and every desire and every decision that you have made has only added to your uncleanness. You have a God who has given you life and you have chosen to live your life as though there was no God. You have a God who has given you breath and you use that breath to deny him or to tear other people down or to complain about almost everything that happens to you. God has given you wealth and you spend it just to get further away from him. Everywhere you go, You and I, everywhere we go, we ought to be screaming out, 
unclean, unclean. And Jesus is telling you to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy, have pity, show compassion. Because you are not offered a priest who waits for you to get clean before he'll do anything for you. You're not coming to a priest who is going to examine you stem to stern and pronounce, nope, better luck next time. Do better. Try harder. See you next Sunday. You have a priest who says, come now. Filthy, unclean, unable as you are, come. I will take your filth. I will take your uncleanness. I will give you my health, my righteousness. I will be cast out of the community on your behalf, not just to a leper's community. I will be cast completely out of the community into the depths of unclean itself, to death and the grave, the place of absolute inescapable uncleanness. I will take that on. You take my life. You All you need to do is acknowledge that you are an unworthy servant, that you are a filthy leper, and you need my cleansing, and I will do it for you, and you will be made well. You will be saved, not by your works, not by your zeal, not by your efforts. As we sang after confession, could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal could, could I work up enough zeal? It wouldn't be enough. You must save, and you alone. Wash me, Savior, lest I die. Jesus says, I will wash you. I will cleanse you. I will heal you. I will restore you. I will receive you. I will declare you clean and righteous. You'll not only be brought in as a bondservant, my father will adopt you. You will be his sons and daughters forever. And not only that, I will then pour my spirit into you, the spirit of God, the spirit of the omnipotent, omniscient God will dwell in you. Think about that. The spirit of the omniscient, omnipotent God dwells in you if you are his child. We all struggle with like, I want to do the things I'm supposed to do. I just don't have the ability to do that. And Jesus says, I'm giving it to you. My spirit, my omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing spirit will be in you. That just before that passage in Philippians, he says, the spirit of God, that God in you, God dwelling in you to will and to act according to his pleasure. Not just making sure you want to follow him, but actually giving you the ability to follow him. And we would take that we have done only what he gave us the ability to do and be, and what? Consider that we've earned something? He says, I did that in you. I did that through you. We boast of nothing but Christ himself. And in the end, we say, I'm not... I'm nothing more than an unworthy servant because I am a grateful leper. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. We do thank you, Jesus. Grant to us humility to see who we are. 
Grant to us gratitude to see what you have done. You've saved us. You've washed us. You've cleansed us. You have filled us now. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.